not gonna remember to send it to me anyway. I, I, I'll do it. Don't, right. don't, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm live. Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I'm here with another surprise guest, Nathan. How are you? I, I'm well. And quite <laughs> are you surprised? I'm quite that? shocked. Uh, yeah, that was a very professional lead-in, unnecessarily so. Followed by surprise at being the guest. Yeah, it was more like surprising you as the guest. And then mm. it's even a surprise to the listeners because you're not a guest. So, yeah. Everyone's shocked. Everyone's shocked. And that now, now that we have everyone's attention, uh, we can tell them all about the frustrating, cool things you went through. This sure, week. sure. Uh, well, yeah, very little of this has to do with things I went through personally. But I do have a good list of cool, frustrating, and interesting things. Oh, I do have one fun thing. I'll start with the fun thing. It's not that fun, oh. but it didn't make sense under the other categories. Okay. I already told you about this, which was that I updated all the dependencies on nwcalvinic.dev. Wow. Uh, and so the fun part about it was that I could tell how my, like, thought about having public facing code things have changed over the last year or whatever the last time was that I contributed because I was like I feel like these were very professional before my my github commits were like somewhat professional and this one without even really thinking much about it it was just like uh, I updated everything using mpx I just updated everything to the latest and just pushed it and the commit I still did proper commits and everything, like PRs. So my PR description was something like, YOLO updated everything to latest. We'll s it worked locally. We'll see if it works. And then my uh, auto automatic deployment failed, but it was because it was pinned to node 12. So I bumped it up to node 14, which was PR number 14. So that was satisfying. Wow. Coincidence? I think so. Wow. Yeah. But... That was nice. So it did get me thinking that I should probably brainstorm some ideas on things I actually could add yeah. because it had been so sufficiently long that I forgot pretty much everything about the website. And I actually have like a nice, um, what are those called? Like the color, the text, the colors that you get for a code editor. What are those called? I don't know. Theme? No, nah, it's like a theme. But anyway, the text theme or whatever it's called uh, for the code samples looks really nice. The code examples were pretty good. And so I was like, oh, I should definitely add more of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't thought of any ideas yet. But spoiler alert, that's one of my uh, to-do beggars is just to try to brainstorm things I could write. Probably not finish one because it takes a while to come up with examples and write everything, explaining it in between and whatever. But yes, I actually did something with nwcalvinic.dev. So you know it's either uh, lockdown or winter. Otherwise, why would I be looking at yeah. it? Yeah. Not only the dependencies, you also did the node version, which is huge. Huge. Yeah, because otherwise it wouldn't have deployed. But I was excited to see I removed 82 uh, critical warnings from Dependabot. Wow. So. And added how many new? Uh, there was only two left. Okay. It went from 84 to 2. Wow. So I was pretty happy with that. I 
It well, as you mentioned um, before we were recording, la- last week's episode, no mention of Rocket League, and this is the Rocket oh, League dev show. This really is. I the, I think dro- listeners just dropped out last time, or just kept listening to the whole thing, waiting <laughs> waiting for, it, for the Rocket and League. And we're apologizing. Yeah, I uh, on behalf of uh, Gian, I apologize to the community. Yes. To all the fans. Um, also, we did make a lot of jokes in the last episode about nobody listening to past, like, the first few minutes. And I shouldn't say a lot, but, like, three or four times throughout the episode, I was like, oh, nobody's listening. But then when I went to upload the last episode, the average, or the median, I should say, uh, listen time was 55 minutes. I was like, I owe everyone an apology. Yeah. I'm very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I made you listen to all my crap after, uh, like, assuming no one was listening. I just wasted everyone's time. So There's if you, a life lesson in there. It's in there. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Don't... Yeah, don't assume no one's listening when you record and put something publicly up on the internet. You know what happens when you assume, Nathan, don't you? Uh, Yeah, Uh, Yeah. so I've been told. (laughs) So Rocket League, uh, there's this uh, (laughs) there's this new player called player, like like Rocket League player. Not a car. No, 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 player. Okay. Like person who plays he who plays Rocket League. Okay. Or she. No, it's a he. Okay. Uh, And goes by the name Dark with a question mark or Dark L, Dark RL or whatever. But if you want to just see, like, ridiculously impressive Rocket League mechanics, this is the guy. Wow. Uh, he's super high level 1v1. And it makes it look like a freestyle lobby where normally what you do in a freestyle lobby is you just take turns with the ball. But he's just so good that the other player doesn't get the ball. And he just does ridiculous things with it. So uh, this won't mean much. But yeah, like uh, double flip reset into a pogo with a double tap. Yeah. That Wild. Makes no sense. Makes sense. Wow. Cool. Uh, so anyway, you can uh, check out Johnny Boy's YouTube channel. Uh, if you just type like Johnny Rocket League or something, he's probably the only one that will come up. And his most recent video at the time of recording is showing two... Uh, replays from Dark, and it's very entertaining because Johnny's great, uh, fun to listen to, and the gameplay is amazing. So anyway, oh, yeah. that's Let that. him know your fans of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let Johnny know we sent you. <laughs> uh, frustrating. This one's easy. Okay. Palumi. There's not um, much else I need to say about it, but I will anyway. Yeah. So. <sighs> Palumi is, for those who don't know, it's an infrastructure as code tool. Their whole benefit proposition is you can write in some language you like already, like Go or TypeScript or Python. And it essentially just wraps Terraform, does some API calls for you, uh, abstracts things away. And they have these things called component libraries. And these compo- you can make your own components. And so the idea of a component is it is a collection of resources. So you might say, like, uh, we'll have a custom VPC component or, like, a custom maybe, like, um, server. Let's just say you make a component called server, and it cr- automatically creates the entire EKS cluster configured the way that you want it and does various things. And you're like, all right, I'll just think of this conceptually as a server. The thing is they have these component libraries. And so they have things like manage node group under their EKS uh, component library. But you can't pass 
certain things into components that you can pass into that you can uh, that you can pass into any other resource. For example, ignore changes. So we have cluster autoscaler in our EKS cluster. I want it to I want to tell Pulumi ignore the desired count. I want you to deploy it the first time, but then if it's different, just ignore it. And that works on resources. Doesn't work on components. And they have apparently plans to support it since like 2018, so it's not happening. And the result of this is that we now just have to, every time we deploy, deploy with the max and the desired the same and then let the cluster autoscaler scale down. Not the end of the world. But the fact that this is just Pulumi being very useless and recommending something and then not following through on the promise and making things more difficult, that's their basic business model. And so the most recent thing that I just can't understand why they're so bad at this, their whole thing is to spin up infrastructure uh, in a dependable way, like um, where it knows everything that it made and then presumably it should be able to then tear it down because it knows the dependencies because it created them. But this component library, this absolute heaping pile of garbage EKS component library that is has been the primary source of all our issues with Pulumi, it can spin up an EKS cluster and then all you do is you say, okay, now I'm going to remove this cluster from the code it says, cool, I'll just delete everything. I'll delete the temporary security group I made, delete the node group, delete the cluster. It knows how all those dependencies are made because without any concerns, it just spun them up. And it knows the dependency graph. But then when it goes to remove it, it tries to delete the security group before it can delete, before it tries to delete the node group. And so then it says, oh, I can't delete the security group and just crashes. But it's like, why do I have, and this has happened like four times, because I've had to re rebuild the EKS clusters a few times, and every time I'm thinking, oh, this is just me. But now I have so much more experience with Pulumi and being very careful, and I have so much more experience with our stack and knowing how all the pieces work in AWS in general. I have to just go in and manually like delete things along the way, but also because of the permissions it uses or whatever, it's like you can't delete this, um, this ENI I'm like, okay, apparently I don't have permission to delete this ENI. So we end up with just these lingering uh, network interfaces sitting around. Mm -hmm. And we still have some from previous EKS clusters that just failed to, to be torn down. And it's not for lack of trying. Like I've tried, there's not, I can't even access the security group because they don't, I didn't tell it to make it. It's part of the component that it uses. So I also tried to, opt out of that one day and just go, oh, I'm just going to write all these things manually. But I would have to tear down our existing EKS clusters because Pulumi doesn't know that it's the same thing. It doesn't give me IDs, so I can't just import them and say, like, this EKS cluster is now going to be defined as this one that I hand-defined, and here's the ID, so just import it. It doesn't let you do that. So I'm just frustrated because it's like, literally, you have one job, that, that sort of thing. Uh, like. We have this kettle at home that boils water, okay. which is which is what you want a kettle to do. Yeah. Kettle does like two things, right? Boils water and then pours that water out. I this mean, you really are the one pouring it out too. It's a collaborative effort, okay. but like you'll see where I'm going with this. Okay. The the kettle that we have at home, it has like a round spout, 
And when you go to pour it, I've tried many different strategies of pouring it slowly, aggressively, tilting really far, tilting not very far. No matter what, the water, most of it, like a good half, just runs down the front of the kettle all over the counter. And it, it, it was probably the cheapest one that my girlfriend could find when she got it. She's probably had it for years now. And it's like, I get it. This was probably just a crappy kettle. But you, you fail miserably at one part. But at least it's just hot water. Like, Palumi's job is to spin things up and tear them down. And it can't do the tearing down part. And half the time, it struggles to do the spinning them up. So it's frustrating. Don't use it, as I said last week. Yeah. Uh, Even with, like, root account access, you're not allowed to, like, delete lingering things? Uh, well, I... As part of our security audit, we've agreed not to use root. Uh, I see. And also, I don't want to. Okay, fair. <laughs> yeah, I've used root one time when Palumi deleted all of our IAM users. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then I logged in as root and recreated mine and then used that to manually fix some state and then Palumi was able to recreate them. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a, not, I wouldn't recommend it. But not, yeah. That's the thing. I can blindly not recommend Palumi and safely just say Terraform's probably better and CDK is, if you're on AWS, is almost certainly better based on the things you've told me. Yeah. So without even trying the alternatives, I can safely and confidently say, just don't use Pulumi. Yeah, I've done these things in CDK where I create a super complicated whole bunch of like instances and everything. And I just go into CloudFormation and I'm like, delete stack. And it'll take, it'll take its sweet time sometimes. Yeah. But every single resource I've created <laughs> gets completely cleaned up. Yeah. And you never have to worry about it, except S3 buckets and a couple of things that it thinks are like, long living things like a dynamo database or whatever it'll just be like no, no i'm not deleting those i'll mark those that I, i'm done with them but you you go figure it out so the annoying part with that is it'll stack will be like yep yeah, rollback completed so you're like all right let's try recreating and i'll say well that's three bucket you're trying to create already exists <laughs> i'm like what is your problem <laughs> um, which i suppose is good for certain things you want you don't want to accidentally delete like a bucket with four terabytes of data or something true yeah yeah, but it would be nice if it like deleted and then had a little warning or something like some resources are still here because they weren't supposed to get deleted or whatever. Hmm. That would be nice. It doesn't do that? No. So it only does that if it tried and failed? Yes. Because I have seen that before, tearing down CloudFormation stacks. Yeah. It'll just tear it down. It'll be like, yeah, everything's good, man. And then you recreate it and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you <laughs> trying to create? It exists. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I suppose. I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, if this ever gets to the Palumi team, uh, I mean it. Yeah. I know um, I don't apologize, and I wouldn't have chose your product. Stay tuned for the episode where we talk everything about Palumi, but we spell it with poo. <laughs> yeah. We are. We're yeah. Uh, that's m the mature content everybody uh, is subscribed for. All right, so we've got three interesting things. I'll try not to dwell on these for too long, I guess. Uh, actually, let's do one non-programming, and then I'll go back to right. dev-related stuff. So uh, I guess it's indirectly programming-related still, but it's uh, Andre Karpathy. Uh, he was recently on the Lex Friedman podcast. Uh, Andre was the head of AI at Tesla for five years. Okay. And it's a really good 
conversation, as you expect. Lex is a really good interviewer, and I've heard a bunch of his previous guests recommend interviewing Andre uh, and just saying how smart he is and how he has good takes on stuff. And as a saga, or as a pleasant surprise, Andre also has a really uh, like endearing laugh. So when the first 10 minutes or so of the podcast, I was like, oh, this might, this might get a bit dry or serious or something. And then he laughed, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, no, I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very honest laugh. So anyway, I enjoyed it, and I'm not even all the way done. I think I'm two-thirds, three-quarters, something like that through, but I can safely recommend it because I didn't check. I'm sure it's like two or three or four hours or something. Yeah, three and a half, and it's now on my downloads list. Nice, yeah. So anyway, highly recommend. Uh, Lex Friedman in general always has great. Uh, great guess. Um, yeah, the episode below seems to be with time. Yeah, don't. I was kind of trying to ignore <laughs> that. Uh, he, yeah, he, he did. He did have that conversation as well. Uh, so interesting in general, programming. Wow. So I've been away from programming for a while. Just, Writing YAML. Just doing dev, dev infrastructure type stuff. Not a lot of actual, like writing of code mm-hmm. uh and it's nice i've been away long enough now it's been about a year and i'm sufficiently curious about everything again like the way i was two eh, three years ago basically like early telmedic uh where i hadn't spent a year and a half building django apis and fixing react render bugs and things where i just got so tired of writing code because it was just a lot of the same so i'm back to feeling refreshed very curious on a bunch of stuff and that'll tie into some of the do-betters but also just the content i've been watching the primogen stuff the uh keeping an eye on what's going on in front-end world with react 18 and, and things uh it's been refreshing because yeah i was kind of thinking for a while like i just need to not do this anymore unless i can switch into a different area of being a developer. And so I did, switched into more of the infrastructure, ops, monitoring type of stuff. And that's been very good. I like doing that during the day. And I don't miss programming during the workday, but now I'm more interested going into the winter on spending some time writing code in my free time. So that's nice, I'm happy about that. And lastly, I didn't put this, uh, I didn't want to make this a topic of the show because I'm not confident enough in it. But something that is interesting that I was working with today is Postgres deletion behavior. And so, again, caveat, I think this is how it works. This is why it's not a full topic of the show. But as I understand it, you have a table in Postgres and you insert tuples as like rows into the table and Postgres stores them. And if you delete one of those tuples, it gets marked as deleted. So you haven't freed up any space by doing that. And then when you run a vacuum or an auto vacuum, it clears that tuple, but you haven't freed up that space because the table essentially hasn't been like repacked or whatever. So what that prevents is the like continual expansion of the table from having all these dead tuples that are taking up space or dead rows because I don't want to have to say tuples every time. Uh, it's a weird word. Um, all these dead rows 
uh, they essentially just get repopulated with new rows as those new rows need to be written. And then what happened recently was we have this, uh, we have we had two separate RDS instances. One of them had a more legacy database and the other one had our other databases. And we wanted to consolidate them to reduce costs on spending a bunch of money on this other database that barely gets used and just had too much allocated storage and stuff anyway. And I looked at the tables that we wanted to port over and I went, okay, they're about this size. Once we do the dump and restore, we'll lose a lot of the cruft that's in the indexes. Um, and so we, cause that's what happened when I dump, did the dump and restore on the other tables and to reduce the storage size. And so I was like, we should see something similar here, but this was before I knew about all the toast stuff that I learned about recently. Uh, and so it wasn't that they were bloated with indexes, they were bloated with toast from JSON blobs. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I moved it over, it wound up almost filling up the uh, storage that we had. So we were running on thin margins, which meant that I didn't have enough space to do anything that required a full copy. And then I got permission to delete in, like old data from one table. And so t uh, yesterday I deleted like 80% of the data from one table and saw no change in storage space. And I was like, hmm, interesting. And then I had the thought, okay, well, at least the index should have no more need for all those rows that I've deleted. So I'll re-index because I can run re-index concurrently. The index itself was like 11 gigs. It was like, even if it, even if it has to redo the whole index, maybe it wasn't 11, it might have been the 31. But I re-indexed re a few, t few tables. And uh, I was like, the even if it copies it directly, like an extra 11 still fits, we're fine. And so freed up some space by doing that to a few tables and then by that point, I had enough space to be able to run a vacuum full. Mm. And again, these are tables that don't get written to very often, yeah. but they were just full of dead rows with JSON in them. And so I ran a vacuum full, and this table was, uh, I don't know, like 160 gigs or something. And I checked the number of live tuples and the number of dead tuples, and it was like a frac small fraction were still live. So I ran vacuum full, freed up like 120 gigs of storage, wow. which gave me enough space to then do the same thing on this other table that I had previously deleted like half of it. And so that freed up another like 150 gigabytes of storage and now we're, now we're all good. But it was the process of a week ago, I didn't fully get that you delete something and it really has no effect yeah. <laughs> on the storage <laughs> space, even when the vacuum runs. Because I, I would like see the vacuum run, or I would run a vacuum and be like, huh, uh, I really wanted this free storage space line to go up. Mm -hmm. And it just did nothing. And so then I finally understood, like, okay, that's what it means to return storage space to the operating system, which is what the docs say. But I didn't fully picture it in my head and, like, why this requires a copy. Because... It essentially needs to say, give me all the live rows. I'm going to copy those over. That's your new table, and I'll tear down everything. And then the normal vacuum that's not a vacuum full just says, like, all these dead rows, just free them up. We can use those to rewrite rows in the future. So I'm enjoying this uh, process of learning more about things that aren't things I've worked with before, even if they are, like, beaker gains, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so yeah.
but most things in databases just feels like that, right? You, they give the documentation and they're like, yeah, just, just do routine cleanups. And you're like, oh, this is pretty basic stuff. But you realize that most places just don't run these. Yeah. And there's no practice around it because databases are a mystery. Everyone just uses a ORM. Uh, no one writes SQL anymore. So everything gets executed. And no one wants to touch the database. They're just like, oh, it's getting full. It's production. Can't touch it. Let's just increase it because our databases are big. Mm -hmm. And then the solution to that is let's create a bunch of smaller databases, <laughs> write a bunch of microservices, and then have to talk to each other. Uh, and that causes sadness everywhere. But yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. there's been many times I've run like certain queries and suddenly like, oh, my database is a lot faster now because I did some cleanups and reindexed certain things. And uh, how has no one done this by now? But, yeah. 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 So I want to, yeah, to be clear, like, this is not an area I've worked in. So I learned this stuff in like two and a half business days. I'm not making, I'm not trying to make it sound like this is groundbreaking information. It's the fact that these are the types of things that if not done, cause a problem. And when you have someone that just spends a couple days being like, why is our database so bad? Uh, they can figure these things out. And yeah. I'm finding it fun having to be that person that's like, Okay, admittedly, I should probably know this after this many years of experience, but I was too busy learning how to fix front-end bugs and write well-documented APIs, and now I've gone through some of the infrastructure, and it's gotten to the point where things are stable, except the database is really full and slow. Why is it full and slow? Okay, well, Nathan, you're going to go find that out yeah. now. And so. it's a fun journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that uh, might just make it sound like, reinforce the fact that, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I admit, I don't really know what I'm doing. Good. And that's the fun part. Yeah, feel like an imposter that you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just embracing it at this yeah. point. Hey, who knows, maybe this will be a good episode of just database tunings. Tune-ups and cleaning, like a version two. I think we did something similar before. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Well, we haven't announced the topic yet. Do you want to do that instead? Oh, my God. <laughs> how, much, how much do you know about databases and stuff? Because I have a little bit more information <laughs> now. Uh, I, before we do anything else, though, you can think on it. Decide if you want to do that as a topic. Uh, I have a wholesome recommendation because Mark Rober's Squirrel Olympics. Uh, it's his maze, Squirrel Maze 3.0. This year it was the Squirrel Olympics. And so if anyone's seen them in previous years, they're interesting. He makes like a squirrel obstacle course. But in this year's, he made the squirrels compete in seven events. Uh, okay. And so there was, <laughs> there was like the ski jump and there was a high jump. And like you just kind of have to watch it. But he's got this whole storytelling thing. It's a good half hour. I think I was just in a particular mood. But I laughed so hard that I could barely breathe at one point. So I recommend it. It's very wholesome. How many times in your brain did you yell the squail video? Zero. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was fully immersed in okay. in the cinematic squirrel universe. Wow. Yeah. The SCU. Yeah, CSU. CSU. Yes. Cinematic squirrel universe. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, now, I'm going to stick to the regular topic because <sighs> I'm not prepared for the database. Okay. All before right. Before we even do that. All right. I'm going to talk about my cool, frustrating random things okay sounds good um thing that i thought was cool and frankly it was more of a about effing time um youtube now has personalized handles 
which you know, Instagram, Facebook, every social network out there already allowed you to do, but YouTube was like, no, 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 get your 10K and then we'll give it to you. You have to earn it. It's like, no. So they finally, finally had it. So now youtube.com slash ad do at a dev show. <laughs> uh, you can go watch the videos you haven't uploaded in forever. Yeah, it's too much work. Syncing, syncing the audio to the video, it was yeah. a pain. Also, just realizing that our YouTube average view count was like a minute uh, and uh, the podcast is much longer. So, yeah, you got to stick where you're listeners are yeah sure uh, but i like that that it exists because now people could do it before too but they can now do youtube.com slash nwcalmag for all your hot hot takes and resources yeah i haven't uploaded in two years but maybe i will you don't know you don't know S- subscribe maybe someone's listening to this in 10 years in future and you're just uploading how i hacked netflix video yeah yeah, yeah. it seems like everybody i uh Anybody who finds out I have a YouTube channel, they proceed to give me a hard time about not making videos and tell me that I should. One person years ago messaged me on LinkedIn, was like, hey, Nathan, I like your YouTube channel. You think you can make some more videos? I was like, whoa, this is very convincing. And I think I made two more videos and then, again, stopped making them. Well, whoever that person is, if you're listening, those two videos are for you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, actually, though. (laughs) Um... Oh, I don't know which category this fits in, but I, I got a good laugh out of it, so I sent it to you as well. PyScript. Uh, congratulations, people. Now we're going the other way. Now you can run server-side languages in your client's browser, which I can't even imagine how many ways this can be a malware or how we can like screw up someone's phone. Because JavaScript, if you're, on, if you're laying for too long, the browser kills it. Um, which I'm sure because this PyScript probably transpiles to JavaScript and then runs it, it'll probably happen the same behavior, but now you have multiple ways. Now you can, maybe even before it executes any code, you just load a giant, massive Jupyter notebook or whatever and run some data science stuff. Now you can, now it's easier more than ever to mine on people who visit your websites. So just mine coins, do whatever. so yeah, I thought that was hilarious and partially, I don't, I'm just not seeing the use case. Maybe there is something, maybe people will find a good use case for it at some point. Maybe it's a polyglot thing. I don't know, but I wasn't a fan, um, which, you know, is a good, good uh, hint on things we'll talk about today. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't say explicitly what this was, but you sent it to me, PyScript. Yeah. And it basically is... HTML tags that allows you to then put Python, yeah. the, the language Python, in between HTML tags. And yeah, uh, intentions unclear, unsure why you would want to do that. It does mention WebAssembly, which I guess is probably the, tra- the transpilation target, which I can get the appeal of WebAssembly, but I don't see why I would want to do something in WebAssembly that I would choose to write in Python specifically versus some other scripting language or if I'm looking for like performance because it's WASM, like why, why Python would be the, because it talks about using Python libraries. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you would want, it's just strange, I guess, mm-hmm. is the thing. Uh, and it doesn't lead with the benefit. It leads with the, hey, you can do this. Yeah. which make it completely unclear to me why you would want to. 
so interesting but concerning at the same time yeah. and bizarre and bizarre that's the that's the big thing about it it's like i on the website there was nothing about it even in the examples they show they're not like changing any dom elements so i'm like the whole point of doing anything in html is so the person can see something right so i don't know what you're doing there that you can't do with javascript or anything else maybe you just you're like yeah here's a little pretty website with like a cat flowing and in the background there's just like from python dot ethereum import ethereum dot mine ethereum dot mine and then just sends sends a bunch of money or whatever uh, or maybe one other ways to like i don't know take more information out of people's caches and cookies and i don't know I just wasn't a fan. Uh, maybe there's something I'll find out in the future. Uh, but yeah, that was a. I didn't know which category to put it in, but I wasn't. Didn't. Did neither found it cool, nor did I think it was frustrating. <laughs> and I don't. It does not make me happy. I see. Um, yeah. Uh, the thing, frustrating thing. It's 2022. Time of recording this. Yes. True. Fitbit has been acquired by Google for many years now. Yes. Fitbit Pay is not Google Pay yet, and I'm really mad, mad about it. Because Fitbit Pay has their own selection of banks that you can choose from, which are probably all US-based. And I just, I would like to tap my watch to pay for things. I have an Android watch, but it, the battery is like two days and one day at most. And I don't want to wear this. I want to my, wear my fitness tracker, and I want to tap it everywhere, because I finally have cards on my phone. And it's so convenient to just tap my phone on things mm -hmm. so it would be great it would be great google if you're listening or someone who works at google um if this gets indexed somehow through an audio recorder somewhere um email larry page uh <laughs> to integrate fitbit pay with google pay so i don't have to like be sad and not pay with my watch they are still completely separate ecosystems there's like two health apps there's the fitbit app and google yep fit or whatever yeah and you can't import like data from fitbit app into google fit or the other way around no so we'll see what happens with the pixel watch two or three maybe it'll consolidate at that point that part if it happens i'd also be slightly annoyed because then it's like okay here's our android watch everything's in here but it's still running android the, the reason Fitbit ecosystem works is because it's lightweight enough and it's got every basic thing you want. Yeah, your charge and lasts, what, like 14 years? <laughs> about, yeah, yeah. Uh, in like exponential dog, 14 years. Okay. So it's really like seven days, seven to 10 days. That's depending. still impressive, yeah. Yeah, I, I think of it as like a 10% a day sort of usage. Mm. Uh, so generally between yeah, seven to 10 days, depending if I'm tracking my workouts at the gym or not. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't have to think about it. It's really, I, and it has a reminder thing. So it'll send me an email being like, your Fitbit battery is low. Cool. And I'm like, oh, cool. I haven't looked at this in forever, so I should charge it. Um, so yeah, and the last 10% just seems to like last forever. I think I've like dragged it for more than two days before I was like, oh, I should just charge this now. Um, yeah, so I'm sad about it. It's frustrating. I want it to work. Uh, please just make it work. Silicon Valley gods, if you're listening. Um, and then finally, a happy thing. Okay, wow. It, yeah. It just, you know, you start start sad to go up. You can only go up. This is up. This is yeah. actually the movie Up. It starts yes. sad as well. It is. I mean, it starts sad. And yeah. And then it goes up. And then, yeah. 
Cool. Fat kid, yeah. Who doesn't love some fat kids? Gordito. Gordito, see. Um, the invention of eSIMs. Oh. They've been around for forever. So yeah, this makes you happy. It makes me really happy. Oh, controversial take. And the reason is because I recently, or recently, a couple of months ago, discovered this app called Airalo. Uh, there's other apps like it. But what you can do is you can just buy an eSIM for any country you're visiting. So while traveling, I'll always have a data pack. So even going to states now, instead of paying stupid Canadian roaming charges if I want data, or land in a new country, and now I'm like, well, I guess I should like go to the nearest shop, buy a SIM, whatever. If your phone supports eSIM, it's a great app. I just paid, I think, $15 for five gigs of data for a month while I'm in UK, which I think is a pretty sweet deal yeah. while I'm abroad. I can leave my phone on airplane mode or just like take my SIM out or whatever so my Canadian wireless charger doesn't ruin everything. <laughs> Provider. Uh, but They're yeah. a charger, let's be real. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. They just charge me stupid amounts of money. Um, but yeah, now I can have data while being... It was also very beneficial when I was in States. I yeah went there, got a data pack for seven days and then Google Maps. Because when you're traveling solo at some points too or in a new place... Google Maps is very beneficial. You want it, you need it, and mm -hmm. you may not have data all the time wherever you go, or even Wi-Fi, because some places just don't have Starbucks. It's really sad. What? Except a very remote town of Mexico where I went, and then there was a big Starbucks with every single white female that I could see. Yes. Um, yeah. But but yeah, if it, if that doesn't exist, you know, I'm kind of sad, and you can't can't find it. And also, it's hurtful countries, um, or maybe even who knows wherever you go. You can't rely on public Wi-Fi. Uh, for all you know, everything's getting scammed. Uh, so, yeah, look out for that. But yes, eSIMs made me very happy. I was looking at the UK one. I was like, it could be cheaper. Maybe when they have more competitors or whatever. But for me, traveling, this is much better than paying whatever Canadian. Because if my SIM even touches as I've landed in a new country, it'll immediately charge me $10 for Rome as you go. And like, I just wanted to go. I didn't want to roam with this. <laughs> so. Yeah, I used to have that when I lived on the island. I would get too close. Oh, yeah. yeah, be like walking on the beach, get too close to Seattle. And it's like, welcome to the U.S. I'm like, ah, oh, no, turn off my data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, even when you're not traveling, it's sad. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every time we were in Souk, I'd be like, no data, turn it off. Yeesh. Yeah. So, yeah, very happy about it. And that's my end of first segment wow on to the next segment yes which is what today's episode is yes if it, you didn't get it from the title no i'm my titles uh are ambiguous at times that's true so uh it's about server-side versus client-side rendering yeah you guys love our front-end episode so much we decided to throw in another one yeah why don't you marry it um because i am against marriage on a technological side i see Okay, yeah. just human to human. Just, yes. I see. Okay, yeah. fair enough. It's Adam uh, and Eve and not robot and Gen? beep. Oh, I, don't know. I see. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, uh, I will explain because I don't have much else to say <laughs> other than the, the basic definition. Um, so client-side versus server-side rendering. This is if you are loading up something in the browser, where did it render? Because it has to render for you to see it. And so if you, uh, for example, load up a React application, typically 
this is where it starts getting weird because React is a part of other libraries, essentially. Um, you will usually have a single DOM node and the rest of the web page is empty. And then you have a bunch of JavaScript. And that JavaScript generates the DOM, which then renders on your computer. So your computer, like your browser, is using the compute on your machine to run JavaScript to generate the DOM on your side, your the client side. Uh, the alternative to that is you get a pre-rendered DOM, which gets sent from the server to your browser, which, uh, again, what's old is new again. This is how the internet uh, works by default. Uh, you hit a server, and some Nginx is just like, oh, here's here's uh, like hello world.html, and it returns some HTML file that has DOM nodes already in it, and then those DOM nodes render, and you have a server-side rendered page. But now things are very fuzzy because we've basically done like this full loop, uh, whereas we started there, but then you had to have a multi-page app, which was just called a website, and then they wanted single-page apps, but then turns out that single-page apps are greedy for uh, resources and can be um, finicky and s potentially slow and require just a lot more effort on the client side. So if you want to make a better client side experience, it's better to offload some of that to the server. But then what if you still want things to be interactive? You can't be re-rendering. Like, if you ever watched like the repaint cycles for React uh, and showing like in React DevTools how often things re-render, like you can't be hitting the server every time to get those updates. So there's a balance between these two things. And there are a bunch of different libraries that handle it in different ways. But those are the basic ideas. Client, think your computer. Server, it's a server. It's someone else's computer. And uh, rendering, just when the DOM is generated, which your browser will then present to you as an actual web page. Yeah, that is very well put. Ta-da! Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Thank you, because that was my first attempt <laughs> at explaining this. <laughs> yeah, my first server-side, or I guess my first actual server-side rendering before I knew what server-side rendering was, because um, First time I built websites, there was no rendering needed. They were just pre-rendered pages. Yes. Uh, and yeah, there was just a server sitting, being like, here's the, you wanted HTML or there's HTML, go, go crazy kids. <laughs> um, and then I learned about server-side rendering, and the first one I built was extremely excruciating, because uh, what it, I wanted to like make it, a, because I was more experienced in backend, I made it like a full end-to-end -end experience of on the front end, there was just a counter. And when you clicked on count, it sent a server request, which went to the database, fetched the latest count value, updated it, stored in the database, and then returned to the client. This is hilarious, because this is what I was saying, like you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, I love that you started there. So yeah. good, okay. Yeah, so very much based on your use case, you might want a different thing uh, <laughs> for incrementing counters, uh -huh. things like that. Imagine every time someone like, filled out a form and they typed in one letter and it went to the server for validation, checked well, the whole thing, came back, refreshed the page and be like, no, you can't type one letter. It has to be minimum three. No, you didn't let me type three. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that might be how lending loops login oh. uh, form used to work. They fixed it recently. It took them like three years. Oh. But it used to be the page would load, I would hit submit, 
and it would say like, you didn't enter your email. I'm like, my, it's literally there. And then I hit submit again, and it'd be like, oh, you're good. Wow. Smart, yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, so the, the, that's like the big one. And yeah, you touched it on the server. It's just, everything's on the server. It's pretty much in the name. I don't know why we're doing this episode. No, we're, I know how we're doing it. We'll have more, yeah, you better more know. valuable it was, information. It's your idea, mister. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, you have a HTML with a bunch of DOM, and then you, whatever, CSS, JavaScript, the bare bones, the don't, only trifecta. Don't say those letters <laughs> in this room. Um, the HTML style and script uh, that's better <laughs> that you have uh, and then yeah you can either change those elements directly onto the browser or on the server um, I read an article on the trend which has a very good like example so if you're a college student and really struggling to understand this difference uh, maybe drop out of college because server side versus client is really like it's in the name. Is that what the article said? No. Oh. This is, this is my hot take. I see. That um, sounds more right. If you've yeah. like, listened to this much of the episode and you're still confused, the reason I'm going to still mention the example, because I thought it was pretty cool, uh, was uh, server-side rendering is like buying stuff from like the brick or something, where the furniture is fully assembled. You just order it, and they just give it to you. In, in your house, they'll bring a full-fledged couch with black hair. Uh, whereas uh, client-side rendering is like IKEA. You order all the elements. They send you all the elements. And then you have to build it there. And then you, in this case, is the browser. Um, yeah, which I thought was kind of a cool way to look at it. Yeah, so, I like that. Yeah, except I guess in reality, it's like IKEA sends you some material or IKEA builds it on the client side where it'll send you some material. Then you look at it and you're like, oh, I want some more spare parts. And you go to IKEA that gives you some. And yeah, then it would just send you the manual. That's true. Yeah. And then you request <laughs> each individual piece. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's more more accurate, I suppose. Um, but yeah, the biggest reason why there's these two things even exist, or why people look at this, page load times. People are impatient. People don't like waiting. Um, that's why we no longer have like promise strings and stuff. People just don't like waiting. So page, page load times uh, you have, because on server, yeah, with server side, it might take a while for your server to generate the HTML or content, but it really depends on how fast your server is. Maybe you have a C524X large, and it immediately compiles the site and gives it back to you in like two milliseconds or less. Wow. Whereas with, you know, if you just had like a T2, medium or something it would mm. just be really slow so it depends on that but client wants the fastest thing and then if your website is like really bloated maybe render it on the server instead of on the browser so that people aren't sitting there when all of us now have like huge electron apps sitting in our little tabs um yeah any anything on the page load that you've experienced between the two or thought of no no not really okay yeah, there's like, I keep thinking of where and how, for example, I, I had no context at the time, so I'm trying to remember back to the fuzzy details of working on a Ruby on Rails app like five years ago, where there's like these Ruby templating languages that like generate some HTML, but I don't remember what it generated. We, we also had an Angular app. So I don't know if it was like generating HTML and then injecting an Angular app into it or, or what was going on. I suppose you could do that. 
Yeah, that's to, well, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of what some of these new tools do. They render like React server side on top of a back like API or whatever. So you've got like your server API renders some React on top of it by reading directly from the database, and then sends a React a pre-compiled React app all on top of it. Wow. So yeah, it's getting messy out there, kids. Wow, that's what Preact is, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe. All right. I haven't looked at preacting a long time. Okay. I just know that for a while, when people were like, React's too bloated, they went with preact. And then Svelte was like, even faster, yo. Wow. And then Solid is out there just throwing strays at everybody, just being like, I'm so much faster. Yeah. Blazingly fast. Blazingly fast, yeah. And then there's, and then there's uh, um, Bun. It's a new one. With Wasm? Okay. Yeah. There's, I got all these things. I know nothing about any of them. I just know that they exist. Yeah, we just need the keywords for the clicks. Yeah. 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 So, uh, well, I am seeding this a little bit because I want, I am planning to dig into some of these as part of my curiosity wave that has taken over and then come back in an episode or two and be like, so I, I did some more digging and these are how these different things actually work. Wow. So, right. so this is just high level because I have no idea how any of these actually work. I just know they exist. All right. Stay tuned, folks. Yeah, and if any of that sounds curious to you, type those words into Google. You'll probably have to add JS. You can't just put bun into you into Google and expect to get JavaScript stuff. Yeah, depending on your previous search history and patterns, you might get sent bread or some not safe for work pictures. Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. It's, I mean, Google knows. The Google, <laughs> they know, they know. Yeah. All right, so I'll... I'll the biggest thing I thought was the coolest thing about it, or okay. the big difference, was the SEO. So I'll just touch on the other stuff, stuff things. Uh huh. Um, when you would might want to use server side, maybe your client has just disabled JavaScript onto their browser. So to give them a better experience, you may want to render all of it before and then just send them that. Uh, yeah, dynamic content. Maybe your web page shows a million users on the website. It might be a lot more painful to do it all on the server side and then send a whole page back where you could just send the full page or, or template and then the client slowly like fetches all the users in a paginated way and shows it or whatever. Um, server usage and costs. If it's a static JavaScript serving website where you don't have to do any server side compiling, throw S3 in CloudFront, you're done, done kid. Don't have to worry about it, it's scaled, it's good. You know, and then if it's server side, now you have to figure out, all right, is my server gonna compute? Now I have to figure out the thread pool, now I have to make sure it handles a large scale traffic. If too many people are making the same requests, maybe now you need like Redis or something to be like cache web pages. And at that at one point that just feels wrong. Uh, especially if you're like doing server side rendering and even, even if it's a combination of like headers or whatever and you have like cloud formation sitting in front of it, that might not work depending on what you're putting in the body uh, on the server-side rendering. So think about that. Um, yeah, if you're doing any actions, click to actions and stuff on the website and it has to go back to the server every time, that's gonna get like annoying and bored real quickly. Uh, but yeah, the big thing uh, that, I, that might be the reason why people look at these things is SEO. Uh, everyone wants them clicks, everyone wants the search engines, no one memorizes websites anymore, everyone, even I've seen people who go to Google, go onto Chrome and in the search part type Google, and then it takes them to like google.com, uh, where it's searching Google and Google. 
Uh, this is, I, I really wish I was making this up, but I've seen this and it made me incredibly sad because I was like, you know when you type anything, it's default going to Google. And I'm like, no, this is how you go to Google. And just, I, then I just stopped arguing. Wow. Um, yeah, you just got to know when to stop talking to certain people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, for SEO, um, I learned about, uh, what did I learn about today? I must have written it somewhere now. There's something about like something called a crawl budget where certain indexing sites, especially Google's because they have the best crawlers out there. Uh, if your site takes too long to load, especially with all these client-side dynamic apps, what they do is they do like a two-faced uh, crawling where they'll first crawl your page before all the script loads and then they'll crawl it again after all the JavaScript loads. But there's a whatever, depending on the budget and their computation, they don't particularly care or check if all the JavaScript has fully loaded. They'll just be like, oh, okay, well, we've gotten some pre-script pre -script content, we'll, whatever, we'll cache this, and bing, and others might be worse on it. So if you just compile it all on the server side, and then the crawler looks at it, and it's like, oh, cool, I have the full page, I know what to index, I know what to do. So you might get like bigger SEO points uh, doing a server side rendering. What was mind-blowing was learning that one of the best practices is you do dynamic or hybrid rendering where based on the user agent being passed, you either do server-side rendering or client-side rendering of your site page. So if it's just like a X user, whatever, Bing or Google, um, you do server-side rendering so that your indexing and stuff is pretty hot. Uh, and if it's not, if it's such just uh, some pleb sitting in their house on their mom's keyboard, uh, then you send them like their client side. They get the little template, things load slowly, and they're like, all right, whatever, I get my content. Uh, which, honestly, I, I don't know, I have not seen this in practice so far, but it's apparently one of the better practices that Google recommends. So the big sites, the big boys must be doing it. Hmm. Uh, I just don't know where or how, but yeah, learned about it, blew my mind mildly, because like most of the times web developers don't really know or care about how things are going to get served. And then the ops team knows nothing about how the app is getting built. Now you need a hybrid of the two to just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. either build it this way or that way and serve this content, uh, which I'm just like, I just don't know who might be doing that. And besides the big companies, hmm. and I just thought that was kind of cool. And Spoiler alert, it might become a side project at one point because after I learned it today, I was like, yeah, maybe I should like build a little um, Apache, Nginx, whatever config to say, all right, if it's this, go to this port where I have a server, whatever, Python server, something, I don't know, Next.js server running because I don't fully know how you can have a single app of both server side and client side compiled in the same code base unless you're using like React on one, I guess, and React on another. Uh, so something like that would be cool to go figure out how to do. Um, but yeah, it was a big, big revelation for me. Hmm. Yeah, that's bizarre. I mean, I could see having like the basic structure of the page, like the important copy, the headers, those things, and just being like something that's lightweight to maintain, so to speak. I could see that just being like a file that lives next to uh, some other like subdirectories in your React uh, template and just being like, okay, we just, when, during our build step, we throw these up somewhere and then just, like you said, have a Nginx config or Apache or whatever that just points to those and just says, you return these instead. 
Um, but how it's actually done, uh, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you just have like a bot.index.html or whatever that just says, it has every SEO keyword ever <laughs> for the business you're on. And it's just all laid out in header tags or whatever. Where if you actually loaded that HTML, it would look like absolute crap. Uh, but for SEO, it's like liquid gold or something. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, the robots love it. Robots do love it. That's why man and robot can't be together. This podcast is really just going to age horribly in like a couple hundred or thousands of years. <laughs> um, but until then, I'll be dead, so who yeah, cares? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. If my generation is still like outliving, they might be called bigots or whatever the future version of bigots That's is. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Uh, but it's their problem. Honestly, if they haven't figured out how to deal with that shit, it's on <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, how do you or what tools do you use to measure... SEOs and other things on your site? Uh, absolutely nothing. Wow. Yeah. How do you know your site's like fast and cool? And uh, don't care. I just my my blog. I use I just have Gatsby, and threw it up in a S3 bucket, and set it to serve as website. And uh, I don't know. I pull it up. Fairly small build. Ship some JSON, and uh, populated the blog. Seemed fast, seemed fast on my phone. I used some of the settings that like lower the quality or whatever, like simulate uh, 3G or whatever. And, eh, it still seems fine. Okay, cool. I don't really care. I don't actually care if anybody goes to it. So I, I wasn't too worried. And then I work with, or like I help a company just manage their website that's just on Squarespace. And at that point, kind of like with the um, shared responsibility model at AWS, it's just like not my concern <laughs> on Squarespace. Yeah, their websites are, are bloated and kind of slow. And uh, it's not like if, if I was a WordPress wizard or something doing SEO on a WordPress site where it loads fast and the search engines love it and all that. Like, I don't know. It gets traffic uh, to their website. They get enough leads to make them happy. And that's all I really care about. Um, check the analytics, make sure that nobody's just bouncing too crazy. So I just look for the bounce rate and uh, first load time. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that I have reason for me to ever consider SEO because I don't want anyone to find me. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Same thing. I just have Gatsby and I have never looked at anything but Lighthouse where I just right. run a little simulation. But like, cool. I, everything looks green. I'm happy with this. Yeah. Lighthouse is in Chrome, by yes. the way. Yeah, I don't know if there's a Firefox version of it. There must be. Probably, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have Firefox on every machine I've ever used because I always download it at some point, and then I don't use it much. Mm. It's usually just to check, like, cross-browser compatibility if someone on the team asks. I'm like, this isn't working on my machine. And I pull Have it off. tried IE11? It's fine. Uh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I send them a DM on Rocket Chat saying, did you open it in IE11? <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. 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 True. True. But that's what Webpack is for, right? You just say support browsers, including IE11, and you just cross your fingers and hope that the build takes care of it. You're like, Babel's got my back. Yeah. Surely. Surely. It never throws any errors. You'll never get a white screen the moment you just try to load your web page. I did love that as a requirement, though. This is very far from server-side client-side rendering, but it's related to first page load, which is related to those things. 
when you, when your browser support requirement is does the app load or crash immediately? You're you're not dealing with a high bar, uh, which we may have experienced. May have. Yeah, no comment on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, another quick point. Uh, Third-party integration. So you know how some websites have like comments served by whatever comments.io or whatever. Uh, a lot of those integrations might not work if you're going the server-side rendering route because you can't execute random other people's JavaScript on your server um, and just pre-populate the comments, I guess, or whatever, because a lot of those things are dynamic and just little iframes mm -hmm. with JS executing on them. So, yeah, keep that in mind when you're doing server-side. Honestly, if you're just getting into front-end development, just start with client-side. Don't think about the server so much unless you're just doing raw HTML, CSS, styling, and uh, scripting things. And uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I did want to mention a few of the libraries that I know about or, Ooh. like, projects. So you already you mentioned you already mentioned uh, Next.js, which, again, I don't know any of the specifics too deeply on any of these, and it's one of the things I want to look into, but I'm just flagging it for anyone who's curious. Because I know that, for example, Next.js is mostly a back-end framework. And so it allows you to create APIs. And then I believe you can basically query your database directly in your APIs and then use something similar to return JSX in uh, components. And it'll return that to the front end. And so you get some of that server-side benefit, which is part of their argument for being so fast. Uh, again, fuzzy on these details. but that's roughly how it is, as far as I understand. Uh, Remix, which has a very nice uh, website. I scrolled through it today. Uh, no implementation details or code examples uh, when I scrolled through, which make it tough. But the website was very aesthetically pleasing and talked about how fast they were. Um, and they were recently acquired, I believe, by, oh, I just watched a video about this. Um, they were recently acquired by somebody. Shop nice. Shopify. Oh. Cool. Yes, and it is Shopify, the Canadian company that sells stuff, not uh, not Spotify. I see. Yeah, Shopify. How many people did they fire where they're like, oh, get ready for your next venture? Oh, no, this is the remix. We're remixing your position. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they're just acquired and uh, curious to see what happens with that. But they might, I guess, get integrated into the platform somehow with Shopify, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the famous, obviously, React. Uh, so I wanted to bring this up just as a, again, high-level sort of comment on some things are more like frameworks and some things are more like libraries. And so React is really just a rendering library. You give it functions, it spits out JSX, and that JSX represents DOM nodes that React will create. It has no real opinion on how you build your app, and so you'll find some server-side implementations that will ship like a React app pre-rendered to the browser or whatever. Uh, and so that's where the lines get blurry, where you have to remember that React is not, like if you've ever built a, uh, a React app, you know that you don't just import React and then use React. Like there's so many packages you need to support the routing and the state management and everything else you want to create with a React app. So it's really just a rendering library, which may show up client-side or server-side, which is interesting. 
And then there's SolidJS, which I found out about somewhat recently. And it is a more direct, it's very, 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 very similar in developer experience, like the way it works with code, if you just look side by side. Uh, very similar to React, and the implementation is different, where uh, this is just more of like a factoid, I guess. But the it is properly reactive, so instead of re-rendering components, um, or sorry, re-rendering re components by rerunning functions, uh, it runs each function once and then interacts directly with DOM elements, and you can do things like the... the the classic example is the set interval, which is really hard to do in React because things rerun constantly. Uh, and so it runs once and then modifies DOM elements in place uh, differently from React. So just a different model, but very similar type of code. Uh, but those four I'm going to be looking into a bit because I am curious on the state of front end. Uh, again, don't want to do it for my, do uh, for my day job, uh, but I am curious about playing with some of these, seeing how they're different, even just hopping maybe into one of those like uh, code pen or code sandbox type of websites, tinkering with them and uh, seeing what the heck the front end world has been up to for the last year or two. Yeah, maybe you can even Twitch stream it. I, <laughs> I'd be such a boring Twitch streamer. I'm like the opposite of a Twitch streamer. So no talking. Just really, yeah, really quiet. Uh, when I do talk, it's not very interesting. Uh, no energy. <laughs> and then people will be like, they'll pay ten dollars and be like, "Thanks, Mister Blah Blah Blah." Yeah. 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 Thank Thank you, Jizz Wizard four six four twenty sixty nine for the. I was gonna say for the four hundred bits, but I don't know if they do bits anymore. I think, mm. I think Twitch switched it. Oh, they now just no. It's just now actual dollars. It oh, would wow. say it would say like three CAD or like four cents US because those are roughly equivalent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're getting four cents. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, that's all I have. I don't have much to be honest. Um, I mean, it is, it's a pretty self-contained topic. Yeah. So we've, yeah. Highlighted what it is, why you would want to do it, and that uh, we don't know much about it, so we'll go look into it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your dids and do's? I did, did do some things better, and I would like to tell you about them. So, him. <clears throat> uh I said I would need to change up my schedule and figure out how to enjoy being at the gym again. So it's only been about a week that I've been doing this, but I've been going to the gym uh, midday on weekdays, and I went to the normal time on Sunday because weekends are not a problem. I can have a normal morning routine, go to the gym, and it's fine, except that the gym's very busy, which used to be the opposite. In Victoria... The gym was super quiet on weekends, so I loved going on weekends because I could have all the space, every any squat rack I wanted, could use that. If I need one of the weightlifting platforms, I could use that. Now it's the opposite. In Burnaby, I guess everybody just goes to the gym on Sundays. I don't what know. losers. Yeah, right? What like I, I'm used to being the loser that's at the gym on yeah. Sundays because I don't have friends. I didn't realize nobody in Burnaby had friends. Oh. So they just all go to the gym. So that's been a big annoying. But I'm talking about how it went better, which is that during the week – Breaking up my workday, that's been nice. And uh, not waking up super early when it's dark all the time has helped a lot as well. Uh, 
same thing with last year. I don't know what the deal is, but... Seriously, what's the deal? <laughs> but waking up, I think, like, four hours before the sun comes up just isn't working. So I've been waking up between, like, seven and eight now, which is really late for me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that gradually I'll catch up on sleep because I am feeling a lot better. I had a couple weeks where I just felt terrible, which... Uh, or, sorry, I was sleeping terribly, which led to most of, I'm sure, my negative emotions throughout the day because it tends to be whenever I notice I'm feeling terrible I ask myself how did I sleep and it's usually I haven't been sleeping well and so that was happening but now that I've been getting eight nine ten hours of sleep that's helping a lot wow. I started this other thing for the last three days or so the uh, of November no no, no okay. we're not we're not talking about that uh, <laughs> which is uh I don't know where I got this idea from. It wasn't from something else. I just thought of it one day, which was I've struggled with not – like because I don't really care about being super productive during the day. That was my default until I was like 25. And then I was like, okay, you know what? Like there are other things to do other than be ultra hyper productive. But then it just made me not sure what to do. Mm. And so I've struggled with this idea of like, okay, I want to be intentional with my time which is what led to all my existential crises on Sunday afternoons when I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, and I haven't figured this out, but I'm, something I'm trying that it's worked for the last couple days is I just, whenever I start doing something, just setting a 90-minute timer on my phone. And what that, because I tried doing this thing before where I would just check in with myself and be like, what are you up to right now? And just kind of notice like, not really doing anything. Why am I not doing anything? I should probably find something to be doing. Or like, I thought I was going to do this. Why am I not doing that? I'm doing something else. Getting distracted. But this 90-minute thing is is looking pretty good because an hour is not quite long enough. And with 90 minutes, I'll sit down. like, okay, I'm going to start working, for example. And in 90 minutes, this alarm's going to go off. Like If I'm still working, okay, you have to take a break from whatever you're doing. And if I'm thinking of doing something else, I can check and be like, oh, it's only been 40 minutes. Why am I thinking that I sh- need to take a break from work after 40 minutes? Like if it's fill my water, maybe go do that. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself like, okay, what, what should I really be doing right now? And it gives you a sense of how long you've been doing something. So it's been working well for me. It's kind of like don't do something for – or don't unintentionally do something for more than 90 minutes and every 90 minutes you'll be reminded to check in and be like, okay, you have to pick something that you're supposed to focus on now for the next little bit. It doesn't mean that my day is exclusively 90 minute blocks. It just means that if I'm planning on doing something that might take longer than 15 minutes, start the timer and just be like, okay, check back in 90 minutes, see how it went. Uh, and it's preventing my, my afternoons mostly from just like slipping away into nonsense yeah. and looking back over the afternoon and being like, did I do anything today? <laughs> Last I checked it was 1.30 and now it's 5.30. Didn't even notice. Not great. So, yeah. It's like extended Pomodoro. Yeah, because Pomodoro is idiotic as far as I can tell. It's yeah, I can't do anything in 20 minutes that I can be productive with. I mean, as a student, maybe you could. You could just, like, read a whole chapter, make enough notes. But as an adult, I, yeah, I don't know. 20 minutes seems like a very small window. It takes me a while to get into the focused, like, everything loaded up into my brain for whatever I'm supposed to be doing. And if that takes 12 minutes, got eight minutes of work and then 10 minute break or whatever, like that's not going to work. Yeah, your cash, cash is not good. No, it's stale. <laughs> yeah, so that's not all right. I found another Taekwondo club uh, in the area. 
I have as a do-better to, within the next couple weeks, I'm not going to try to say, like, within a week I'll have visited them, but within the next couple weeks I want to stop in, basically find out what their deal is. They have a variety of classes, and they're not exclusively super late for adults. They have one that is, it looks like it's basically kids, everyone else, and then they have advanced classes that's just for, um, like, black belts and whatever. And so I'm hoping to be able to just hop into the, like, the not kids, the everyone else sort of open class one and just see how things go. But because it's everyone else, I think it's just like anyone who's over seven years old. Uh, So it's like, okay, cool. I can hop into that. It should be at a reasonable time and just get back into it, see how it goes. So hoping to do that within the next couple of weeks. And oh my God, there's so many. So much you to improve on. (laughs) Actually though, uh, I'm going to take an action on at least one winter hobby within the next week. And so uh, that'll be something like, um, for example, playing music. I haven't played any instruments in quite a while. And uh, I was chatting with my girlfriend the other day about this. I was like, you know, this year, like, I don't think I needed a bunch of hobbies because it was, I moved to the mainland and then uh, lived in a couple different places and tried to figure out my new routine and my new job and my new gym and uh, just the fact that I live somewhere else and make new friends and whatever. I didn't really need to just be like, okay, I'm done work, time to go sit home and play guitar. Mm. But I think it's time for that in the in the winter. So uh, try to take action on some of those. Got a few different ideas, but I don't know what those hobbies will be specifically, but I need to get started on some of them. Otherwise, the months will just uh, pass by. As they do. As they do. Time passes no matter what. I, yeah. yeah. One of my things that was going to have uh, on my do-betters, was, or to-do-betters, this is more like a to-do list, was buy the book, uh, or there's two books, How to Build an Interpreter in Go and How to Build a Compiler in Go. I have purchased those since I wrote this down. Uh, I purchased them last night, started reading through the, through the first one, the How to Build an Interpreter in Go. And that's going to be an ongoing project of sorts. Uh, already really enjoying it. Like I said, very curious about programming again and building a full compiler that does all the things uh, for a basic language is very exciting to me. So I'm curious about that. And as I mentioned, brainstorm some ideas for dev blog. That's, that's all my notes. Wow. So many things. So many things. And I was going to make a comment about, like, I'm sure that everybody's dropped off by now, but apparently they don't. So I don't know. <laughs> if you're still here, uh, I apologize. Yeah. But also, thanks for sticking around. Yeah. If you have any any negative, positive, or just neutral comments, twitter.com slash nwcalbank. Oh, I don't go on Twitter. That's... Yeah. Uh-huh. Wouldn't it be funny, though, one day you do, and there's, like, 20,000 messages in there? Yeah. From our all from, listeners? All from Elon. <laughs> all from Elon, yeah. You're like, sup, sport? Yeah. yeah. Where's that $8 a month? Do yeah. you want the blue tick? I'll give it to you for six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, I'd, if, if Elon was going to cut me a deal on the, on the blue check, I'd consider it. Yeah. Maybe he's listening to it right now in his AI brain where all the data that goes through the internet every byte is processed oof sounds painful he can do it okay yeah he is an alien yeah that's why he wants all the there's tons of kids they're all just like mini servers it's a distributed systems network i see yeah it's it's emr it's just like yeah interesting theory send it to everyone they reduce it comes back to them. 
Right. No, it's actually it's basically like the Tesla fleet out there collecting data. They just all report back to the main server, which is Elon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there gathering experiences and data. Cool. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Cool, interesting, not frustrating. No, I, I, I'm not frustrated <laughs> by that. What uh, about you? What have you got that you did better? Did you do anything better? A little bit, a little bit. Okay. Uh, so uh, something no. that I didn't say I would do better last week, okay. but I ended up doing anyways. This is like adding to the checklist just so you can check it off. Exactly. Okay. Um, but it was, I found this friend of mine, he hangs out with a couple other friends of his. Okay. Uh, they meet up every two weeks on a Tuesday or whatever, and they're all programmers. So they talk about some chapter of some programming related book or something. They're like... Oh, we have this book club. I'm like, what kind of books do you read? And I'm like, we all we're all programmers, so we thought thought we'd start there. I was like, cool, that's a good one. And they apparently, like, talk one chapter every two weeks, which I'm like, for a programming book, that's a very long time. A chapter is like four hours at best, depending on how complicated it is. Uh, so I don't know, um, or at least that's my understanding, because I'm gonna prove that to myself when I actually read that chapter on the day of the meet. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, dude. That that uh, how computers work book or whatever it was. Oh yeah, systems design and something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I learned a ton from that book, but it was not light reading. That's per, true. Ch- per chapter. Yeah, these are relatively junior devs, so I'm, I see. I'm not too worried. Or at least my as, friend is. As I, I don't know his friends. Hmm? As am I. Sure. Yeah. Of <laughs> are, uh, senior DevOps lead tech. Uh, at Archera. Well, I got no idea what I'm doing, so <laughs> that's the junior junior yes. dev. My, I was going to say junior dev mindset, but a lot of them probably think they know a lot. Yeah, that, that's the, the graph, right? I know nothing, junior, and then you're in the middle, you're like, I know everything, and then you're back to senior being like, I know nothing. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I you see. could be on either end of that, <laughs> for all I know. Six uh, years, still junior. <laughs> still junior. <laughs> you can only go up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I ended up reaching out to him and for like the longest time I was like, no, and I was like, you know what, might as well try it, gotta try it. Uh, so yeah, I reached out to him, got out of my little bubble, and I was like, hey, can I like join your group and come talk about programming stuff? Uh, so they've sent me the PDF of the book, uh, I think it was open sourced or not, I don't know now, a PDF of the book, okay. legally or otherwise. Um, for the purpose of this content, it's legal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm going to read the chapter on day off and see how good I do. And uh, it's something about object-oriented. Like, it cannot be that hard. Right. Um, Can you do the usual thing you do where you report back and tell me if I should try to be their friend? Yes. Thank you. That's, that's on the radar. That's, that's <laughs> I'm going to bring that up. Because uh, the main person is, uh, at least the friend I have, is extremely energetic. Okay. Uh, and you would think he's a cool person but you might get drained extremely quickly I see. With him. I see. Uh, it's not like the other guy we sort of know who's just annoying mm-hmm. uh, that is a mutual friend mutual friend um, this guy is actually like genuinely cool and nice but he's he's cocaine in a person whoa uh, yeah so sometimes I just have to be like yes just simmer down a little bit he's too much for me well, uh, yeah. Okay, fair but enough. We'll find out what the rest of the group is like. Yeah, yeah. You know, the topic is at least concentrated. Even listening in onto a bunch of engineers and what they're thinking would be cool. So, uh, yeah, did that, got off my little bubble and started talking to some recruiters. Started, like, in getting my little interviewing prep 
in because uh-huh. again I'm kind of bored and yeah Ventures is the time to create so I'm gonna try to maybe create some more content in my head that's not just DevOps, SysOps work which really at this point is just configuration and pipelines and I'm getting tired and bored of it. Well, you, yeah, you've been the YAML doctor for a while. I have, and at this point, I don't even know what recursion is, which I honestly never did in the last six whatever years. Um, and um, nwcalvink.dev slash recursion. Oh, and then it'll just take me back to the same page and just keep no, doing that? No, I, okay. I think that's actually the, the slug. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, yeah so that, that was the did betters. And then do better is taking from the interview thing and just like keep studying, keep preparing, look into different things. Oh my God, it does work. The URL is holy. And listeners, please go to this page and it'll tell you all about recursion. Yeah. Uh, it is a long article. It's got everything you need to know. Wow. It's it, a com- it literally says a complete guide. Honestly, just a complete guide to recursion should be used iteration. That's, that's all it should say. Single liner. Haters gonna hate. <laughs> Yeah, as they should. <laughs> Some people just call it realism, others call it hating, but whatever. Okay, teach their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people just go through things quickly. Some people just stay within themselves. You know, who knows which one's better? I think it's the iteration is. Um, but yeah, refreshing the the skill set on there. Even looking at basic things on how languages used to talk to each other, right? Like RPC. Haven't touched that in forever. GraphQL was a huge thing, and everyone was like mad about it. And I did whatever little proof of concept. I was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't think it applies to most things, but it's fine. And then HTTP and stuff have done so much at this point that it's annoying how much JSON goes over the wire. And then RPC, I did a very basic proof of concept because the fact that I have to share the same protofile between client and server side code just I was like, no, I, I'm not doing this. Most teams I know have the server side and like front and back end teams sit separately so it is really just a back end microservices things talking to each other. Um, but I was looking into it because I had completely forgotten how RPC really works under the hood. And uh, just th- basic things like that. So I'm trying to get back into it a little bit more. Have you come across TRPC? No. Well, I have. Is, the, is it by Telmedic on RPC? Him, no. <laughs> uh, prepare, prepare for the sales pitch of a lifetime. Move fast and break nothing. End-to-end type-safe APIs made easy. This is where it gets good, okay? okay. Experience the full power of TypeScript inference and boost performance while building your, full, your next full-stack application. And it has a, a nice embedded GIF just to show you how TRPC works, which I believe is part of Next, maybe? Okay. It, one of the packages I mentioned. Yeah. But uh, maybe if you're looking for, like, what are people up to in the RPC world, this, I think, is popular. I, I'll take a look. Off the top of my head, I thought the whole point of RPC was type safety. TypeScript, the point is type safety. Uh, but very different contexts of it, type safety. Ty- TypeScript is, their whole MO is pretending to be type safe. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so the proto of files and stuff, because mm-hmm. honestly, I know you need a proto of file, and you can pass it to the same client, and then you have the SDKs or whatever to yeah. like, process them. I don't know how a proto of file gets processed. 
I don't know what it's created by, I don't know how compiler reads it, I know nothing about it. As opposed to JSON, where I know it's just text. Who right. cares? It's serialized, it's easy, it goes in, comes Ship back. it. Ship it, yeah. But yeah, things like that, where I'm like, I, I, I'm sure at some point I used to know things, and now I don't, because I just don't look at them enough. And as I was like making, updating my resume and stuff, talking to like thinking about talking to recruiters, I'm realizing how much I can't write on the resume about my Amazon experience because it's either internal tooling or things I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh. And I'm like, so it's really, you climb the ladder inside and if you need to get out, you, people are like, what did you do there? I'm like, oh, I can, I can only talk about high levels of certain things. And as I'm thinking about like a lot of technologies and such, unless it was on the AWS platform or CDK, I can't transfer any of the skills that I learned about all those internal tooling and such, uh, because outside world tooling doesn't either support it or had it like 14 years ago. So it just it bothered me a little bit on how uh, that was. So yeah, so I'm gonna try to spend now some time He's trying to stay up to date with a little bit on the outside world because I don't want to be one of those people who are at Amazon for like eight, ten years, and then they either try to like become the visionary and try a new product team, or they're just there because rest invest. I see. So you mentioned RPC and the curiosity of protocol buffers. Is there anything else you have flagged for things you're digging into? Not at the moment. And those only really came up because I was like, oh, maybe I should like build another little server as a practice thing. Yeah. And I was like, I could build an HTTP, but let's build it into a, because distributed system is also a big keyword uh, that I haven't touched in a long time. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I could build like a little like pub sub system where it just talks to each other, maybe uses whatever protobufs, and I can like build my own implementation of SQS, SNS or something. Uh, just a little little app, and uh, maybe I build it in like Go, which already has channels, uh, but at least it's not cross-app channels, right? So you can maybe have like a channel channel within the app that pushes it to over protobuf to another app, which reads it on channel channels again, instead of like an API server or something. Um, just to overcomplicate it, like server-side rendering of a counter, you know, why not? Just sure. Clarify my concepts. Uh, things that I find interesting, but if I made a tutorial, someone would really hate me for it. So yeah, do that, and then maybe do more Spanish. Continue to do that. I did not go into any of those additional apps that I thought I would. No, no, Duo Deer or Deer no, Deer Lingo. I think it's I I Ling guess Lingo Deer. I think it's Lingo Deer. Uh, yeah. Something, but no, I did not go onto it just because I. Didn't get the time. I'm also starting to plan a little trip I'm taking around Christmas. Uh -huh. And it's so much easier to escape from professional life when you have things to look forward to in your personal life. <laughs> uh, so I have to make sure I don't fall behind there either. So I see. Yeah. So yeah, just a whole bunch of like, again, ventures is the time for reflection apparently and that freaks you out to create things because summer is outdoors. Um, so yeah, I did some reflection and stuff on like things and yes, I was doing the resume updates and just a whole bunch of things. I'm like, I, I don't know if I can like claim the same level of arrogance I used to have in tech where I was just like, yeah, everything's easy to pick up. It's fine. You just need to invest X amount of time and it's not that bad. Uh, now I'm just like, I don't know. Do I have enough contextual information? Does my brain know enough about a certain area? I know practices. I know patterns. I know maybe how the cloud looks on certain things. But if someone just came to me with like a new set of tech tomorrow and was like, build this, I'm like, I 
I don't know. I haven't touched the Kade CLI in a year and a half. How does any of this work anymore? Nothing's on my fingertips anymore. And it's a mildly freaking concept. I see. Because I'm not used to that. I'm used to either just knowing things or having the time to know things. And right now I'm not getting either. So. Wow. Yeah. So I need to carve out some time to actually know things again. Uh, so that I don't feel sad or like an idiot. Good plan. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to be doing better on. Try to keep improving my uh, personal life a little bit. But yes, over the next few weeks, uh, do more things on the personal side to just maybe allocate some time for tech and things that I do on my own time. Cool. I'm curious to see what things you find interesting. Because, mm. uh, yeah, it's a lot. It, there's a lot of things that are always changing. And we are interested in different areas of those things. So... If you come across something like uh, you know, a pie script that I should I should definitely know about, <laughs> these are the things I want to hear. Yeah, let's build a blockchain. A blockchain is so twenty eighteen. That's true. I don't think no one's gonna if I if we just go out for an investment opportunity. Like if if just six months ago we had been like we're building a network of EVs on blockchain, could have probably raised like billions of dollars. Right. Yeah. Um, but not anymore. Not, no one wants to invest in crypto anymore. So, not yet. Not yet. Exactly. <laughs> Just wait for that risk on. <laughs> wait for the bulls to step in again, and then everyone's like, "Oh, you can just make money everywhere." Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's that. I think. Yeah. If you've made it this far, our listeners deliberate, not deliberate. I'm forgetting the word. Just. You know, just, just pushing, pushing through, their, sort of. Their perseverance. Perseverance, yeah. We respect it. We love it. And, uh, yeah, come back to listen for some more because we're, we're done with this now. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.